Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Whatever happened to the Mueller report? Whatever happened to the presidents being indicted, secret indictments, you know, all that stuff? All gone. $40 million. We wasted three years of our lives on that. And now Ukraine. And, you know, the basic facts are so simple. They're so simple. Under Obama, the Ukrainians received no requested military aid that would stop the Russians. Under Trump, they received hundreds of millions every year since his presidency began. Under Obama, the Russians invaded Ukraine. Under Trump, the Russians have not. Have not done anything further with Ukraine. Under the Obama administrations, the Russians annexed Crimea. He did nothing. Under Obama... Our government barely sanctioned Putin and his government. Under Trump, he has imposed the strongest sanctions of any modern president against another president and his minions. Obama was slashing the United States military to the great pleasure of Putin. Under Trump, under Trump he has significantly, massively increased spending on the United States military. To Russia's great consternation. Under Obama, when the Russians were cheating on one of our nuclear deals, he allowed it to continue. Under Trump, Putin was warned repeatedly to cut it out. He didn't. And so, ultimately, we withdrew from that deal, infuriating Putin. Tell me, the president of Ukraine, would he rather have Donald Trump as president of the United States or Barack Obama? Clearly Donald Trump. Tell me, Vladimir Putin, would he rather have Barack Obama as president of the United States or Donald Trump? Clearly Barack Obama. These are the basic facts. Finally, the Democrats have admitted that the president of the United States can have Whatever ambassador he wants. I mean, it has to be, he or she has to be confirmed by the Senate. That's obvious. But the president gets to decide who's going to represent his foreign policy on behalf of the nation. Now, we learned a lot of things here that were actually quite remarkable. Nothing that supports the narrative of the left, the media, and the Democrat Party. Let me first deal with this tweet. Let me first deal with this tweet. This is utterly repulsive. Not the tweet, but the staged event that took place. They knew the president would eventually tweet and criticize 
this witness who's a witness to nothing. The president tweeted, and of course, Adam Schiff decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read it. But he didn't read it. He read the first sentence. That's all they read. That's all he read. (laughs) He didn't read the entire tweet. The president's tweet also mentioned what the president of of the Ukraine had to say about Yovanovitch. That would be the former ambassador. So it's quite remarkable. Now, I'm trying to find the damn thing, Mr. Producer. If you can find the tweet, send it to me. I thought I had it here. But the Ukrainian president was not keen on the American ambassador. The president of the United States was not keen on the American ambassador. She had a three-year assignment that was coming to an end. She wanted it extended. She didn't get it extended. She was removed. It's very sad that what was done to her... She was asked what kind of job she would like. She became a professor at Georgetown. Full salary where she teaches one course. Horrific. She felt intimidated. Do we have that, Mr. Producer, that audio? Let's go with it. I don't have the number in front of me. Okay, Mr. Producer, ask for one minute. Trying to get to our audio. And in the audio, we have the moment. I'm trying to kill time, Rich. You got it or not? I know, Rich. Do we have it or not? Yes or no? Uh, we don't have it. We'll have it after the break. And what happened was the president tweeted, Schiff in the middle of the hearing, read one sentence out of it, added his commentary, asked her opinion if she felt threatened, and she felt threatened. First, they built her up as George Patton, She's been in every hellhole, strong, courageous, and so forth. But the tweet threatened her. And I put out on social media, and others eventually picked up, well, how could the tweet threaten her? How can it be witness intimidation? She's testifying. She wouldn't even have known about it if Adam Schiff hadn't read part of it. But he only read part of it because he's a serial liar. He's, he is a pathological liar. Here was the exchange. Go. As we sit here testifying, the president is attacking you on Twitter. Um, And I'd like to give you a chance to respond. I'll read part of one of his tweets. Everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Uh, He goes on to say... Now, see, he didn't read the next sentence. We're going to play the whole thing. But he didn't go to the next sentence, did he? Go ahead. Uh, later in the tweet, is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. Well, first of all, uh, Ambassador Ivanovich, the Senate has a chance to confirm or deny an ambassador, do they not? Yes, advise and consent. What oh, wow, like to- they actually referenced the Constitution. Go ahead. On to the president's attack that everywhere you went turned bad. Well, I... I mean, I is that intimidating? You know, this is all drama. It's all phony. I know. I, I watch these these news guys, and they're legal commentators, and they treat her like she is a veal. 
don't, don't, you know, be very ginger. The media in advance told the Republicans, you better not be rough on her. You know, she cried during her deposition. I'm thinking, you just built her up as Patton. And now you're using stereotypical descriptions to try and portray her as a weak woman. Now, which is it? The fact is, she's conniving. I'll say it. I'll explain it as the show goes on. Go ahead. I have such powers, uh, not in Mogadishu, Somalia, Somalia, not in other places. I actually think that um, where I've served over the years, um, I and others have demonstrably um, made things better. You know, for the no, US you haven't demonstrably well. made things better. The Ukraine was not demonstrably better when you were the ambassador. When you were the ambassador under Obama, they didn't get the military support they needed. They didn't get the funding they needed. It wasn't until Trump came in and you were a holdover and he wanted you out. And the whole lie that's taking place here, the whole fiction that's taking place here, is they're trying to tie this. Um, they're trying to tie this to some kind of a quid pro quo or bribery or extortion or whatever the hell they call it these days. But the president actually tweeted out eight hours ago, says this. Everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. Is that intimidating, Mr. Producer? Mr. Call Screener? She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Somalia's a disaster, right, Mr. Producer? Mr. Call Screener? Then he goes. Then fast forward to Ukraine, where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her in my second phone call with him. Adam Schiff didn't read this. He also didn't read from the transcript in which the new reformist Ukrainian president had little faith in this ambassador. president goes on, it's a president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. So I would ask all the newsrooms in this country, especially the one that I was watching, is there a reason why... When you thought this was the great moment, this was the smoking gun, is there a reason why you didn't post the entire graphic of the tweet? Is there a reason why you didn't point out to the audience that Adam Schiff had rewritten the tweet by omitting information from the tweet? Is there a reason why there wasn't any serious discussion about how it is impossible for this witness to have been threatened? Because she was there testifying effectively against the president at the direction of the Democrats. They knew exactly what she was going to say. That's why they have these secret, these secret hearings, testimony in the basement and decide which witnesses are favorable and will push the narrative and which aren't. And then it got worse. The media kept saying, won't this be one of the charges against the president for impeachment. In other words, they weren't really reporting. They were nudging, urging, arguing to the Democrats. Don't forget to include this in your articles of impeachment. The media were played for suckers, those who think they're objective, and those who aren't. They took the signal. They knew exactly what to do. This was nothing. But I want you to think about this for a minute. 
Well, Adam Schiff, the prosecutor here, is deciding what Republican, what Republicans can do in terms of calling witnesses, defense counsel, if you will. The prosecutor deciding what witnesses the defense can call. And he's extremely aggressive in telling them which witnesses they cannot call. And while Adam Schiff said over and over and over and over again that we would hear from the whistleblower, and now he's covering up for the whistleblower because he's covering up for himself and his staff in the Democrat Party. So the person who is said to have triggered all this remains behind the curtain. His lawyers who called for a coup don't hear from them anymore. Adam Schiff has denied the president's counsel the right to be in those secret depositions. Unheard of in American history. In American history under impeachment circumstances. And we can go on and on and on. You're familiar with it. It's the president, you see, who can't get witnesses called, who can't get his counsel into that room, who can't defend himself and his presidency and the office of the presidency. It is he, you see, who's intimidated a witness by exercising his First Amendment right under the Constitution. Witness intimidation doesn't even meet the definition. And some of my old friends on TV, they're even there saying, you know, politically it's a disaster. Politically, why doesn't he just stop tweeting? If this president stops tweeting, he's finished. Because then all information will be laundered through the media. He can't stop tweeting. He must. And it's important that he get information out to the American people who may not be watching cable TV or network TV or what what have you. So it's not witness intimidation under the law. It's not witness intimidation from a constitutional perspective for somebody to defend themselves. It's not witness intimidation because the witness testified to script. She looked intimidated to you. She looked like a hardcore, tough, 33-year State Department bureaucrat. And there's no bureaucracy that's worse. No bureaucracy that's worse. But the president tweeted. So they even lied about the substance of his tweet. They lied about what witness tampering is. They lied that she could even be intimidated... As a matter of physical fact, except for the fact that Adam Schiff read a truncated form that would serve his narrative. And all day long and into the night, this is the great thing they say that came out of the hearing. There was actually something very important that did come out of the hearing. At least from my perspective, and I'll tell you what it is when we come back. Mark Levin. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however, that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. 
a series of choices guided in the best case by right principles, but made in ever-changing circumstances that require prudence to achieve the best attainable results. Hillsdale's curriculum combines the careful reading of primary sources and serious historical inquiry. Students learn how to apply the principles of free government and advance the cause of constitutionalism in the context of ever-changing circumstances. Hillsdale's new Van Andel School of Government is a program unlike any other in Washington, D.C. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. What's the guy's name again, Mr. Producer? Caleb what? I can't pronounce it. A karma? Hope you're paying attention there, fella. Hour three. Guy used to write for the Daily Signal and the Federalist, but I guess they pay better over at Mediate. Looks like he's a complete political whore, Mr. Producer. I don't know. I don't know. I have to explore this. I guess they pay better over there, guy. All right. I see he got into a physical alteration with Seb Gorga. Is that true, Mr. Producer? And he attacked a black guy as being white? Did I see that too? I don't know. I got to figure it out. He's trying to make himself famous on me. So soon learn he's going to make himself infamous. Over there at Mediate. That would be Dan Abrams' site, the legal analyst. I have a question for you, by the way. It's a footnote. So you're a legal analyst, you're a so-called journalist at ABC News, and you have all these websites. And then you have all these TV shows. Is that okay? I mean, I'm, I'm an opinion guy. I give my opinion. Dan Abrams is a journalist. He has this lousy site called Lawn Crime, which is left-wing. He has this lousy site called Mediaite, which is sort of a copy of Media Matters, where he hires these, uh, not all, but some relatively young uh, and mostly stupid individuals, but all hard left, pretty much, other than one or two. But it's Mediaite. No, it's Mediocreite. That's what it is. But we'll get to that later. More on the hearing today. I will be on Hannity tonight. 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. 
And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers in Primus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Levin was a kid. His teachers didn't like his snide sense of humor. Today, they still don't like it. Call Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. Here are the headlines for the newsrooms. Ivanovich knew of no bribery when asked directly and under oath. She knew of no extortion when asked directly and under oath. She knew of no impeachable offense when asked directly and under oath. She did nothing to push back on the corrupt Ukrainian regime when that corrupt Ukrainian regime was interfering in our election in 2016 on behalf of Hillary Clinton and against President Trump. For the hundredth time, Politico, January 2017, Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. Now they want you to think this is some right-wing conspiracy. I didn't know that Kenneth Vogel, who's a leftist, was a right-winger, now writes of the New York Times, attacking John Solomon. Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicating a top Trump aide in corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter only to back away after the election. And they helped Clinton's allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors, a political investigation found. Now, you're elected president. You find out this corrupt Ukrainian regime is interfering in the election to try and defeat you. And you still approve of money for this regime in 2017 and 2018. That's what's remarkable. The political piece went on. These are the first two paragraphs. The Ukrainian-American operative was consulting for the Democratic National Committee, met with top officials in the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, in an effort to expose ties between Trump, top campaign aide Paul Manafort, and Russia, according to people with direct knowledge of the situation. And the Ukrainian efforts had an impact in the race, helping to force Manafort's resignation and advancing the narrative that Trump's campaign was deeply connected to Ukraine's foe to the East, Russia. And it goes on. You're free to read it. We've linked to it many, many, many times. Again, the headline, the Politico piece, is Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. With their words, not mine. Sabotage Trump backfire. Now, this courageous, yet wallflower, former ambassador to Ukraine, very, very busy trying to clean up corruption in Ukraine. She's... Not really familiar with this article. Well, kind of familiar, but wasn't that familiar. Hadn't really read it. So she didn't do anything. She didn't even raise an objection. She said, well, that's really Washington's business. Well, then what do we have an ambassador for? Now, she's an anti-Trumper. Let's just be blunt. It's quite obvious. And listen to her testimony. Why is it that Adam Schiff was trying to protect her? Why is it that Adam Schiff was trying to lead her and did, in fact, lead her? 
Why is it if you listen carefully and if you litigate cases like I have in the past, but if you really listen carefully, you don't have to be a lawyer. To the way she answered the Republicans, rarely when the answer would be anti-Democrat Party narrative, she just answered the question. She always kind of spun it a little bit here and there because she knew her job was to perform. These are performances. They know what's going on. This is an impeachment hearing. It's a Democrat Party impeachment hearing. They control the committee. That's why she's witness number three. That's why they haven't released the transcripts of other witnesses who provided testimony in part or in whole that contradict the narrative. But you understand, ladies and gentlemen, when the president tweets, which is an absolutely harmless tweet, he's witness tampering. And it's a political disaster. And it becomes the headline. No, it's not the headline. It's what the media make it as the headline. But the headline is, you're trying to impeach a president. You claim it's over bribery and extortion. And she's now the third witness in a row. They're witnesses. They're best witnesses. They're star witnesses. Who say no? And so we have to hear all the static about tweets. Ooh, watch that. And then the media pushing. Jake Tapper. Perfect example. The media pushing, telling the Democrats, leading the way. You gotta, you know, I assume you're going to include this you know, in your articles of impeachment. Well, yes, yes, of course. And then you have legal analysts saying, yes, yes, it's clearly whistle, you know, witness tampering. No, it's not. And even the best of them on there say, a political blunder. How so? Because the media running with it? Well, there's nothing the president can do about that. They are trying to intimidate the president. They're trying to say that he can't tweet. And if he doesn't tweet, he won't survive. He is his best defender. Now, finally, at least one newsroom, but it's taken a while, is putting the entire tweet on the screen. Finally. And really, only after a Republican who is a terrific member of Congress, Zeldin, from Long Island, Iraq combat vet, brought it up during a post-hearing presser. Brought it up. See, everything Adam Schiff does is sleazy. Partial information, leaks, control over witnesses, interrupting the Republicans... You know, I went back and I read that seven and a half page rules. Those rules weren't agreed to by the Republicans. That's the vote, ladies and gentlemen. That's the vote that took place with every Democrat except two and not a single Republican. Those rules do not proscribe for Caleb, that would mean prevent the chairman who's the head of the Democrat side, or the ranking member, who's the head of the Republican side, from shifting time among and between them. It says the chairman shall have 45 minutes, he or the, uh, or the uh, council. doesn't say the chairman shall not provide any time to any other member. I even hear these legal analysts saying, well, if you actually follow the rules, you know, strictly, they really can't. Of course they can. There's nothing in there that prohibits it. It's a matter of interpretation. And by the way, what is that young lady's name, that congresswoman? Stefanik? 
Stefanik, I'm sorry. I want to get it right, Stefanik. She's outstanding. Elise Stefanik is showing herself to be superstar. And there are several superstars on that committee. Imagine operating under these fascistic conditions. And that's what they are. I don't know what else you call it. They are fascistic conditions. And I want to remind you folks, although you already know it, but the legal analysts and the phony journalists, the Constitution does not say what you legal analysts keep saying, that impeachment is whatever the Democrats say it is, or whatever the House says it is. That's not what the Constitution says. Why don't you read what the Constitution says out loud? Why don't you read what's in Madison's notes? Read it out loud. What's taking place in the House is one of the things that they feared when they were debating whether or not to even include an impeachment clause. It'll be up to the Senate to control this. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. And if they don't control it, it won't be controlled. And then it'll be up to us to reward those who deserve to be rewarded and punish those who deserve to have their asses kicked out in the next election. I'm telling you this. If Mitch McConnell doesn't do the right thing in the Senate, and if he doesn't have the power to keep the Republicans together, he needs to go. Because he will not make room. He will not make room for a successor. He's going to hang in there posthumously if he has to. I'm going to take a little early break here, down the line. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. It's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. Elise Stefanik, go. Mr. Chairman, I have a parliamentary inquiry. Um, the gentleman is not recognized. I do want to comment. Uh, and Mr. I'll Chairman, I have a point of order under Let's H-5-6. stop right here. He's blocking points of order. He's blocking parliamentary uh, inquiries. It violates their own rules. It's really fascinating to hear these legal analysts commenting about he doesn't really have to let the Republicans speak, you know, when... Uh, uh, when when uh, Devin Nunes wants to turn some time over to, say, uh, Elise Stefanik. 
But he does have to consider points of order and parliamentary inquiries. And he shut them all down. Go ahead. The general will state her point of order. Uh, the point of order is, will the chairman continue to prohibit witnesses from answering Republican questions as you've done in closed hearings and as you did this week when you interrupted proper, our questions? That is not a proper point of order. The general will, will suspend. Mr. Speaker, chairman, I have a point of order. not recognized. Mr. Chairman, I have a point of order. The is not recognized. I have a point of order, though. The general is not recognized. Do you want to respond? I allow the point member of to... Point of order. I, the gentleman is not recognized. Mr. Chairman, there are four transcripts that have not been released. The gentleman is not recognized. Holy Ranking cow. member. Unbelievable. You heard Jim Jordan also tremendous. Holy cow, because that's not how you conduct yourself. They are power hungry. They have a very slim majority. They lose 16 seats, and that's got to be our folks. Are you angry tonight, America? May I make a suggestion? If you're angry tonight, show it. Give donations to the Trump campaign. Or find out who these so-called moderate Democrats are, these 31, particularly if you live in their districts, and give donations to the candidates running against them. You don't have to tolerate this. Or if you're sick and tired of watching certain hosts, sick and tired of watching certain legal analysts, even people you thought you liked, don't watch them anymore. Don't watch them anymore. Trust me, you'll get by. You'll do just fine. Let's hear some more Elise, please. Go ahead. My questions today will focus on three key themes. The first is the role of the president when it comes to appointing our ambassadors. The second is longstanding corruption in Ukraine. And the third is aid to Ukraine. Earlier this week, as you know, we heard from George Kent. And I know that Mr. Kent is a colleague, a friend, and someone who you deeply respect. In his testimony, he stated, all ambassadors serve the pleasure of the president. You would agree with that statement, correct? Yes. And in fact, he elaborated and went on to emphasize that this is without question. Everybody understands that. You would agree with that? I would agree with that. And in your own deposition under oath, you stated, quote, although I understand, everyone understands that I serve at the pleasure of the president. Is that correct? Yes. And just so there's no public confusion, you are still... By the way, does she sound intimidated to anybody out there? Does she sound intimidated to you, Mr. Producer? She sounds like... She's annoyed that the Republicans are even there. Yeah. It's very smug and arrogant. And to me, that's how she came off. Smug and arrogant. And the media really are trying to position her and position Trump and position everybody. I'm not buying it. I see it with my own two eyes. You can hear it, folks. Go ahead. Correct? Yes. And in the deposition, you say that you personally asked whether it would be possible to be a fellow at Georgetown University, and that was arranged for me, and I'm very grateful. That's where you're posted today, correct? Yes. Georgetown students are lucky to have you. We are lucky to have you in Foreign Service, and I again want to thank you for your tremendous public service. Shifting gears to corruption in Ukraine, in your powerful deposition, you described, quote, we have long understood that strong anti-corruption efforts must form an essential part of our policy in Ukraine, and now there is a window of opportunity to do that. And so why is this important, and why is this important to us? Put simply, anti-corruption efforts serve Ukraine's interests, but they also serve our as well. Is that still your testimony? Yes. And particularly at the critical time in 2014, after the Ukrainian elections, you testified that the Ukrainian people had made clear in that very election that they were done with corruption. 
correct? Yes. And you also testified that the Ukrainians thought it would be a good idea to set up this architecture of a special investigative office that would be all about the crimes of corruption, correct? Yes. And I know this was before you arrived in Ukraine, but you are aware that the first case that the U.S., U.K., and Ukraine investigators worked on was, in fact, against the... Now, I know you're going to snooze fest. Stay with it. It's important. She's great. Go ahead. Yes. And that was during the Obama administration. Yes. And in your testimony, you, and you said today, the investigation was never formally closed because, quote, it's frankly useful to keep that company hanging on a hook, right? That's the, your quote. Yeah, the Ukrainian investigation was never closed. Partnered with the U.S. and the U.K. As I understand it. Yeah, although because we didn't see the Ukrainians moving forward on that, we no longer partner with them uh, on that case or in that way. But let's take a first step, <laughs> a step back. The first time you personally became aware of Burisma was actually when you were being prepared by the Obama State Department for your Senate confirmation hearings. And this was in the form of practice questions and answers. This was your deposition. And you testified that in this particular practice Q&A with the Obama State Department, it wasn't just generally about Burisma and corruption. It was specifically about Hunter Biden and Burisma. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And the exact quote from your testimony, Ambassador, is, quote, the way the question was phrased in this model Q&A was, what can you tell us about Hunter Biden's, you know, being named to the board of Burisma? So for the millions of Americans watching, President Obama's own State Department was so concerned about potential conflicts of interest from Hunter Biden's role at Burisma that they raised it themselves while prepping this wonderful ambassador nominee before her confirmation. And yet our Democratic colleagues and the chairman of this committee cry foul when we dare ask that same question. Wow. See, this is the headline. And one of the legal analysts said, no, look, they, you know, when they prepare for hearings, they get all these questions, and it's not a big deal, and they kind of dismiss them. Excuse me? Given all the crapola that comes through the microphones of these members of Congress? The leading questions? And why didn't the media go back and look at any of this? This is incredible. So in Q&As in preparation for her hearing to be confirmed as the ambassador with Ukraine. The State Department itself grilled her through a number of questions relating to Burisma, Hunter Biden, and an appearance of a conflict. Do you understand that, folks? And you know what she did about all that? Nothing. Zero. There's your headline. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Smearing good people. The Democrats are very upset about smearing good people. I wish Robert Bork were around to hear that. Terrence Thomas is. A whole host of judges, even today. Smeared, lied about. Records distorted. By the Democrats and the Democrat Party media. 
even people who are not up for appointment, the way they're smeared. Donald Trump's entire presidency has been one of a left-wing smear. What happened to that $40 million, give or take, Mueller report? It was really the, uh, the talk of the town four months ago, Mr. Producer. And we're debating the fine points of obstruction of justice. And it's all gone. Robert Mueller gone. No more criminal investigation of the president. Gone. No more criminal investigation of his family. Gone. Came and went. Russia collusion. Came and went. Now we're hanging on every word of every bureaucrat out of the State Department. The fact is that this witness, I'll say it, was giving self-serving testimony. She didn't want to leave the ambassadorship. She wanted another year extension. She wanted another year extension. If she was so great at helping to stamp out corruption there, what exactly did she do? It's the president's policies that changed since Obama, not hers. It's the people of Ukraine who rose up and elected a new president. She had nothing to do with that. And when the corrupt Ukrainian regime was interfering with our election on behalf of Hillary Clinton and against Trump, she sat on her hands. That's unconscionable. Unconscionable. She said nothing. That's a Washington matter. No, you're the ambassador to Ukraine. You had a lot of opinions about a lot of things. When Ukraine didn't get funding, she obviously was not that effective. She couldn't persuade the interagency group and her boss, Obama, to give them the funding. And when Trump came to be president of the United States, he didn't even know her name. But he made sure they got the funding that would be useful in protecting the citizens of Ukraine. Look, I don't know what Rudy Giuliani did or didn't do, but I've been around long enough to see these sleazy smears that go on here. And the way they create witnesses and individuals who are angels and witnesses and individuals who are devils. So here we have a woman today who testifies. And everybody praises it. We've never seen anybody like this woman. Except the two guys that testified on Wednesday. We've never seen anybody like them. Noble, honest, careerists. Didn't have a political bone in their body. Just looking out for America. And looking out for our friends in the Ukraine. Donald Trump, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. That's just the start of it. Rudy Giuliani, back-channel, sleazy, backdooring, self-dealing. I hope you don't have to listen to the network news I have to listen to. It's so disgusting. I don't know how MSNBC and CNN and others have snuck in here and taken over our network news, but it is disgusting. But the Democrats are the last to talk about smearing people and intimidating people and so forth. And same with the media. They do this all the time. They tried to smear and intimidate John Solomon just the other day. They tried to smear and intimidate a retired lieutenant colonel who knew Vinman and knows him. And they're concerned the Republicans might call him to testify. But they don't have to worry about that because Adam Schiff has everything under control. He is the face of modern day tyranny. Well, they quote Benjamin Franklin in the Constitution. He is the face of modern-day tyranny. 
And they always have to have a fall guy, the Democrats, you know. So now Rudy Giuliani, who has a tremendous history as a prosecutor. You have to give him that, even if you don't like him. Who did a great job defending the president on the Russia collusion probe. Well, that's the problem. Now they've got to take him out. And that's why you're seeing more and more articles about me in the media from the left-wingers. Media Matter puts the word out. So a Hollywood reporter picks it up. The Daily Beast picks it up. Mediaite picks it up. The usual sources. It doesn't matter to me. I've got more viewers, more listeners, more readers than all of them put together through hard work and content. That's you. You. That's why the president cannot give up tweeting. He may not agree with everything he tweets and so forth and so That's fine. He hasn't committed any crimes. He hasn't committed any impeachable offense. The media don't seem to care when they write lousy false articles with anonymous sources and when they're wrong they never circle back or when they broadcast lies that are fed to them by others what about their record the media in this country suck we do not have a free press it is a democrat party press as I wrote in Unfreedom of the Press and have said for decades There's no difference between the two. You cannot find a difference between Jake Tapper and Adam Schiff. You cannot. And it's on on view every single day. Jake Tapper was out there saying, this this, this could be witness intimidation. Jake, shut the hell up, you idiot. You don't even know what you're talking about. You've you've destroyed your career. Once Trump is gone, And these guys try to rebuild their careers, and these networks try to rebuild. I guarantee you, a bunch of them are done. They're going to be writing for media or something. Maybe they'll get hired at uh, Media Matters. Who knows? They might as well. Might as well. Anyway, there's a lot of good audio today. Devin Nunes is my guest this Sunday. 8 p.m. Eastern, our new time. On the Fox News Channel. Life, Liberty, and Levin. 8 p.m. Don't miss it. Mr. Producer, will you put that up on our social sites, please? Okay. Devin Nunes today at the impeachment hearing. Cut three. Go. It's unfortunate that today and for most of next week, we will continue engaging in the Democrats' day-long TV spectacles instead of solving the problems we were all sent to Washington to address. We now have a major trade agreement with Canada and Mexico ready for approval, a deal that would create jobs and boost our economy. Meanwhile, we have not yet approved funding for the government, which expires next week, along with funding for our men and women in uniform. Instead, the Democrats have convened us once again to advance their operation to topple a duly elected president. I'll note that five, five, Democrats on this committee had already voted to impeach this president before the Trump-Zelensky phone call occurred. In fact, Democrats have been vowing to oust President Trump since the day he was elected. So Americans can rightly suspect that his phone call with President Zelensky was used as an excuse for the Democrats to fulfill their Watergate fantasies. 
But I'm glad that on Wednesday, after the Democrats staged six weeks of secret depositions in the basement of the Capitol, like some kind of strange cult, the American people finally got to see this farce for themselves. They saw us sit through hours of hearsay testimony about conversations that two diplomats who had never spoken to the president heard secondhand, thirdhand, and fourthhand from other people. In other words, rumors. The problem of trying to overthrow a president based on this type of evidence is obvious. But that's what their whole case relies on, beginning with secondhand and thirdhand information cited by the whistleblower. That's why on Wednesday, the Democrats were forced to make the absurd argument that hearsay can be much better evidence than direct evidence. And just when you thought the spectacle couldn't get more bizarre, committee Republicans received a memo from the Democrats threatening ethics referrals if we out the whistleblower. As the Democrats are well aware, no Republicans here know the whistleblower's identity because the whistleblower only met with Democrats, not with Republicans. Chairman Schiff claimed not to know who it is, yet he also vowed to block us from asking questions that could reveal his or her identity. Republicans on this committee are left wondering how it's even possible for the chairman to block questions about a person whose identity he claims not to know. The American people may be seeing these absurdities for the first time, but Republicans on this dais are used to them. It's exactly right, of course. And this doesn't move the media. Media think this is perfectly fine. So much for freedom of the press. These poor Republicans can't call their own witnesses without permission from Adam Schiff. I'm telling you, it's about as fascistic and tyrannical as it can. The Johnson impeachment was not handled this way. It's the closest to our founding period of any presidential impeachment. The Nixon impeachment process, which was truncated when he resigned, was not treated this way. The Clinton impeachment process, I wrote to you, read to you what the rules were, was not treated this way. This is a complete violation of American tradition and customs. It's a complete violation of what is viewed as fair and due process in Western civilization. You have some former federal prosecutors out there saying, well, you know, it's not really a criminal prosecution like we're idiots, like we don't know. And so the Sixth Amendment per se doesn't apply. We didn't say it did. But when you go off and you say it's political and the House can do whatever it wants, what you need to say is that's not what the Constitution says. That's what tyrants do. But they don't say that. And they won't say that. When you have journalists who know nothing about the law or the Constitution and make it their point not to go on about how how a presidential tweet is witness tampering when the witness testified in secret before and is testifying openly now as a rational matter it can't be witnessing tampering under federal law if it did apply it wouldn't be witness tampering and the damn witness doesn't even know about it until Adam Schiff brings it up so as a practical matter it's impossible to be witness tampering and then they fall back on but it's, it's witness tampering it sends a message to other witnesses 
What are you talking about? The problem is the Republicans can't get their witnesses in front of a microphone. And there's transcripts that Democrats won't release to allow them to use during the course of this so-called impeachment hearing. Why are you purposely lying to the public? Or are you this truly stupid? Devin Nunes is a hero. We've been talking about what they try to do to good people. They try and smear us all the time. And yet, don't say anything about Blasey Ford. No. Yovanovitch, no. Taylor, no. Kemp, no. Rudy, kill him. Anyone they disagree with, as a matter of fact. John Solomon, kill him. And so forth. One more Devin Nunes, cut four, go. Until they secretly met with the whistleblower, Democrats showed little interest for the last three years in any topic aside from the ridiculous conspiracy theories that President Trump is a Russian agent. When you find yourself on the phone, like the Democrats did with Russian pranksters offering you nude pictures of Trump, and afterward you order your staff to follow up and get the photos, as the Democrats also did, then it might be time to ask yourself if you've gone out too far on a limb, even as they were accusing... By the way, way, media, that's called an attempted smear when you're trying to get stuff like that on a president. And why are you trying to get stuff like that on a president? To blackmail him to resign? When you're trying to get nude pictures on somebody, what's that all about? Media, not flustered in the least. They love Adam Schiff, and he loves them. Gee, I wonder why. Go ahead. The Democrats themselves were colluding with Russians by funding the Steele dossier, which was based on Russian and Ukrainian sources. Meanwhile, they turn a blind eye to Ukrainians meddling in our elections because the Democrats were cooperating with that operation. This was the subject of a July 20th, 2017 letter sent by Senator Grassley to then Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. The letter raised concerns about the activities of Alexander Chalupa, a contractor for the Democratic National Committee, who worked with Ukrainian embassy officials to spread dirt on the Trump campaign. As Senator Grassley wrote, Chalupa's Chalupa's actions appear to show that she was simultaneously working on behalf of a foreign government, Ukraine. Why, Why haven't the media gone out and interviewed Chalupa? who was a DNC consultant who worked with the Ukrainian government, the Hillary Clinton campaign in the DNC, as well as the State Department in the Obama administration, and apparently met repeatedly at the White House with the supposed whistleblower. Why haven't the media tracked this guy down, excuse me, tracked this woman down and interviewed her? You ever wonder about these things? Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, instead of attacking Kellyanne Conway, Don Lemon, instead of attacking somebody in a bar, allegedly. I'm quite serious. We know her name, Chalupa. It was put in a political article by leftist Kenneth Vogel. And yet, when we say her name, it's like nobody knows who this is. She's crucial. But they don't want to know about Chalupa, so the media don't ask. I'll be right back. Lovin.
When we come back, you'll hear from the great Jim Jordan during the course of the hearings, too. These Republicans on this committee deserve uh, enormous praise. I was even listening to Heard, who they thought they could they could turn, as if his name's Caleb. And no, they couldn't turn him. He was quite good today, too. It's hard to get you know, all the information in in five minutes. Uh, but that said, I mean, really, they've done a tremendous job. And you need to keep in mind, and I'm sure you do, the media against them. Obviously, the Democrats have, uh, have absolutely abused their power. You know, they only took over the House this January. Look how fast they move to consolidate power. This is how, once they take power in a blue state, excuse me, in a state that goes blue, they never give it up, or rarely. They consolidate it. They don't care if they change the... You still have long in the tooth Mitch McConnell over in their Senate saying, well, you know, bipartisan here, six weeks, maybe eight weeks, right? You never really know about these sorts of things here. Can't change the rules. You know, the rules are the rules here. We can't change them. Meanwhile, in the House, there's no rules. There are rules. They steamroller. They push through. No shame. No apology. They're for the people. They want to prevent smears and all, don't you know? They're following the Constitution. But in the Senate, you want to know why the Republicans get their ass kicked all the time? Look at McConnell and the boys. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. The uh, Democrats look very stupid today. If you have any sense of the Constitution, law, fairness whatsoever, I mean, really appalling. Absolutely appalling. Turns out this witness knew more about Burisma and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden than she let on. You even had the individual witness, Kent, testify on Wednesday, right? And said he was so concerned about the appearance that he actually went to the vice president's office, but he was pushed away. Now, what did did the brave... Tremendous, we've never seen before, civil servant, 33 years of the State Department, former ambassador to the Ukraine do? Nothing. She didn't see any problems there. She sees problems with Giuliani. See, here's the thing about bureaucrats, particularly at the State Department. They want to protect their turf, ladies and gentlemen. They want to protect their turf. Obama never threatened their turf. He disagreed with them. But... This ambassador was never in any threat of being removed by him. She was his ambassador. They get to call the shots in Ukraine, despite the fact that they pretended otherwise. They felt they did. They were the big powers in Ukraine. And they're not going to allow a president to tell them what to do. And in the end, they didn't like the fact that this president wasn't giving Ukraine the money as fast as they wanted him to give them money, even though he was giving them far more money than Obama ever did for military protection. And the idea that you can have this channel, the idea you can have this channel, you can't have a back channel. 
Yet every president has. Every president's had a back channel. A friend of mine, Tom, reminds me that Reagan had a back channel. In fact, he had more than one, but this one's particularly interesting. And he points out that John Bolton recounts Senator Paul Laxalt, who was a great senator, dear, dear confidant of President Reagan's, obviously senator from Nevada. He recounts how Senator Laxalt's emissary role at the height of the Philippine Revolution brought peace. The State Department at that time, as far as we know, didn't even object to the senator's mission. And I think, in fact, it was Senator Inouye's idea, Democrat. Bottom line was that Marcos, at the time, didn't trust the State Department. And the State Department didn't trust him. And he didn't think its representatives were really speaking for President Reagan. So Reagan's decision was to send Paul Laxalt to impart a personal message to Marcos. It was to go, to go peaceably, and he'd be protected, in so many words. It's interesting that when the clips, excuse me, when the chips were down and the Philippines were teetering on the brink of war, Marcos called Senator Laxalt, not the State Department. And what did Laxalt tell him? I think you should cut and cut cleanly, quote-unquote. And Marcos, after being in office for about 20 years, departed peacefully a few hours later. So in that instance, Reagan had Laxalt. Trump's had Giuliani, and now they're trying to criminalize what Giuliani did. And Clinton had uh, Dennis Rodman, I seem to recall, Mr. Producer. Um, I don't believe that was one of the charges against Clinton, was it? That he went around the State Department with Dennis Rodman? Or was it Obama who had Dennis Rodman? I think it was Clinton. Doesn't matter. Also look how the press reports here. You have AOC, who's accomplished nothing, and yet they have celebrated it or promoted her. Dimwitted as they come. So, against capitalism, hates Trump, for impeachment, and go on and on and on. Now you have this young lady today, Elise Stefanik. And this really isn't the first hearing where she's been a star. She's just good at what she's doing. They don't promote Elise Stefanik over at the Constipated News Network and MSLSD in the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost, at NBC, CBS, and ABC, and you name it, the way that they promote AOC. They don't promote her at all. In fact, they trash her. Or they omit her, like she never existed. If Stefanik were a Democrat, she'd be a star. She's a Republican. So she's an annoyance. AOC's the star. A republic cannot survive without a free media, without a free press. And this free press, without any molestation from the government, has chosen sides in the battle over liberty. I feel they've chosen the wrong side, but they've chosen sides. 
And that's the whole point of unfreedom of the press. It's a terrible thing. I know it is. You know, uh, there are four purposes of education at Hillsdale College. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. For 175 years, Hillsdale's been committed to these four pillars of its mission. Other colleges started off with good intention. Many of them have lost their way. Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've known Hillsdale's president, Dr. Larry Arn, for many years. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it's fragile and constantly under threat. So its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he's the first authority. Now, Hillsdale has a rigorous, true liberal arts curriculum, and all students learn the basics of the U.S. Constitution. Whether they major in biology, business, economics, or any of the dozens of other areas of study. All students must learn what it means to be good citizens and why it's necessary to fight for freedom. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for hillsdale.com. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Don't forget, life, liberty, and Levin. 8 p.m. Sunday night Eastern Time. A full hour with Devin Nunes. No gavels, no shouting him down, no tricks, no smears. He gets to speak. And we'll have a lot to talk about, won't we? I hope you'll watch it. I hope we continue to make it the most popular show on Sundays on Fox. 8 p.m. this Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern uh, Pacific Time. I do know my time zone. So I hope, you'll, uh, I hope you'll stick with us. You know, we work very hard on this show. That's not why you need to stick with us, though. But I do everything I can to give the guests the opportunity to speak and to pry into things that you may not know or that haven't been discussed. And uh, Devin Nunes is only the second individual who's been on my show twice on Fox. The first was uh, Attorney General Ed Meese. So I um, hope you'll join us. Where am I, Mr. Producer? Oh, AMAC. You know, in a world that is lost... By the way, you're probably saying, why do you keep asking? I'll tell you why. There's a network problem in my house with the connections and the IT. I go between live reads, audio, links that I've created throughout the day, right, Rich? Three in the morning, five in the morning, ten in the morning, all day long. So I have to go back and forth, back and forth. So I'm using my iPhone when I'm using my computer. And then, you know, I'm running out of one, one area. So if I'm going to go to the commercials, I really have to shut one down and open the other. So I'm just telling you, here I am. If you saw it, you'd laugh. That's why we're not going to have a, uh, a Marco cam or whatever they call the damn thing. In a world that has lost its way, lost respect for logic, law, and American history, who's defending you in Washington? Who speaks for conservatives? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, that's who. 
AMAC gives its members valuable everyday benefits while boldly defending America's priceless constitution, sacred history, individual liberties, and our moral compass. AMAC fights for border and national security, freedom of speech and religion, and values articulated by Reagan and Trump, a strong defense, limited government, lower taxes. Hard to believe we're here, but we are. And AMAC is dedicated to remembering past sacrifices and preserving America's core values for the future. We oppose the rise of socialism and Medicare, that is Medicare for all, which would destroy Medicare and all private health care. And by the way, two million jobs. Now, if you're not an AMAC member, you really should be. The next election will decide our nation's future. Now, we'll either be true to America's noble past and pass that on to our children, or we'll sink the country. Please, folks, let's step up together. Sign up today, like I already have, for AMAC.us. That's A-M-A-C.us. AMAC.us. I'll be right back. No, I won't, will I? I'm still here. Well, that's a good thing. All right. I've been going on a while. I've got a lot I want to get into next hour, too. Mr. Producer, do we have an irregular American or regular Americans? Yeah. Sirius Satellite, our wonderful satellite, Jim in Vancouver, Washington. Go. Hello, Mark. Long time listener. Love your show. Thank you, sir. I don't think the president did himself any favors today by tweeting during the hearing. Why is that? Tweeting to, uh, tweeting to advance policy and go around the press is brilliant. It's a good thing. But today's tweet seemed to make him, in my opinion, look bad. Now, why? I'm, well, I'm a Republican. I voted for him last I, I, It doesn't matter to me. You're not testifying. I don't want to know about 33 years and your wife and your great-grandfather. I'm not attacking. I just want to know okay. why. I read the tweet. It didn't bother me in the least. To me, it came across as bullying. How? I want Trump's policies, but I want... Did you read the whole tweet? I read the whole tweet. I watched it live. I I love his policies, but I want more... But if you watched it live, you didn't hear the whole tweet. And they didn't show you the whole tweet. You actually had to go online to his site and get the tweet to know exactly what he said. I I heard the tweet that came across on the... No, you you didn't hear it. Because they didn't read, sir, you did not hear the whole tweet because they, what channel were you listening to? What, what network? I was listening to Fox. Right. And they didn't read the whole tweet. I was watching Fox too. The part that they read. I the part that they bad. read. Yeah. And what was wrong with the part that they read? I thought it made him look small. No, I no, was- I know, but I'm asking you why. What did it say that made him look small? Because it seemed as though he was, uh, he said that she failed in these various positions. They're building her up, as <clears throat> they have the other two witnesses. On the one hand, she's George Patton, the way she goes into these areas. The other hand, she's killing off corruption in all these areas. Yeah. She knows nothing. Yeah. She, she, con- she conceals what she knows about Burisma early on and Hunter Biden. She's upset that Rudy Giuliani's going around her back. She didn't want to leave. She served a president that didn't give Ukraine a nickel when it came to military support. This president has given them hundreds of millions. And you expect what? The president just to sit there? He can't get his witnesses there? He can't get his lawyer there? And you say, you know, he, he, what could he have tweeted that would have satisfied you? Or just don't do anything? He didn't need to tweet. 
his people. And that's the problem. You're one of these guys, and there's a lot, and it's not a put-down. I just strongly disagree with you. Who don't, you know, president shouldn't tweet, or he should tweet the way I would tweet, right? Meaning you. Listen, this is a PR battle that he's got to win. I'm well aware of that, but he's got to defend himself or he's not going to win. That's how they take Republicans down. Defend yourself in a professional manner. What's that? You know, defend yourself in a very professional manner. Well, what did he do that wasn't professional? Sir, will you quote to me what you think is not professional? Will I quote to you the way... Do you have it in front of you? I don't have the tweet in front of me, no. So you're calling me about the tweet. You don't have it in front of you. You told me, and again, I'm not a put down. I'm just explaining how well the media do what the media do, even with a pro-Trump Republican. That you felt it was bullying. You didn't hear the second sentence. I didn't either. I had to go on Twitter and get it. But you felt it was bullying. I thought it was bullying. What was what was put on the TV today, I thought it was bullying. And that's the important part. It's what the average Joe... But the average Joe is fine with this. 57% of the American people say none of this is changing their mind. They're not, they're, it's not... And the vast majority of them are Republicans. Mark, I think a lot of average Joes are concerned about the way Trump comes across as being unprofessional. First of all, I don't think you represent average Joes, and I don't. But he got elected. He's got relatively strong popularity under the circumstances. And I think average Joes are up... You know, uh, I think that's why they want Joe Biden is to duke it out for the average Joes. I think Trump has a pretty good hold on them. We'll see in the end. But look, this is a man who got elected who wasn't expected to even get nominated. And this is a man who's had to fight from the minute he took office. So when you talk about him sounding like a bully based on what he's he's up against, uh, I don't think you're processing this properly. But anyway, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Mr. Bidu, what is it about the tweet that was bullying I mean, and, and their narrative is it's witness tampering. There she is testifying freely. He tweets. She's testifying. He can't even expect her to be reading the tweet, can he? No. So Schiff reads it. The media suckers and others, they run with it. They know he didn't read the entire tweet to her. He gets out of her that she feels intimidated. And yet she wasn't intimidated as a matter of fact. And she went on with the script. She went on. So I don't even know why people say, that's fine. Some of you may think that. Go for it. I don't buy this narrative. I really don't. They said this during the Russia collusion. And guess when he would stop tweeting. If this man doesn't fight for himself, who the hell will fight for him? Other than the opinion hosts... And not even all the time, but the opinion hosts on Fox, other than some of their guests like me, depending on what the issue is, who the hell's going to fight for him? He has to fight for himself. It's life or death, politically and otherwise. They're going after his family. They're going after his businesses. They go after his reputation. No stone left unturned. And if there isn't a stone to turn over, they throw them anyway. And I got to hear that people felt this was bullying. It wasn't bullying. And if it is bullying, I would think she can handle it. Here's what he wrote. Everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. Is that bullying, Mr. Bidu? I'm serious. Tell me if you think it is. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Does that sound like a bullying? 
or a statement. Then he writes, then fast forward to Ukraine, where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her in my second phone call with him, which is true. And I'm not aware that any news organization, or certainly not most of them, they didn't pull that original transcript of that phone call and read what the president of Ukraine said. This is what news organizations are supposed to do. Not tell us what they think the Republicans should say or how wonderful the witness was and all the BS. None of that sounds like bullying to me. That's just me. Big hour on journalism when you return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, I hope you'll stick with me because... What I say at the beginning of this will make sense by the time we get to the end of this. As you know, I've been deeply concerned about the the condition of the free press in this country. And I wrote about it at length. And my grave concern is its ideological nature. That they're not providing information, facts, certainly not without an agenda. And when the media rejects even the pursuit, the attempt to get objective facts, not that it'll be proved to do so all the time, you know, we're all imperfect, then we lose a very, very crucial voice for liberty and small-r republicanism. A nation simply cannot survive without a free press. So I'm especially critical of what's going on in the media. I'm also very, very troubled about what's being turned in journalism school. I'm also very, very troubled by the practices I see on cable TV, on the internet, and others, by relatively young people who want to break into this field and want to become famous. That is the field of journalism, not my field. I'm not a journalist. Now, the thing about me is... Everything I say on radio, everything I say on Levin TV, everything I say on Fox, and everything I write about is public. Mr. Bidusa, how far back does my radio archives go? Four years. And of course, you can find everything else you want on the internet. So I don't need people interpreting who I am, interpreting what I'm saying... Because I find when they do that, they are misleading people, driving their ideology. And typically they're just nasty people trying to hurt you. I'm an open book. Now as for the family, I try and keep most of that personal and confidential. I am proud of every family member I have, every one. But the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, as a quasi-public figure, there are people out there who want to harm me and harm them. 
You hear about the left all the time and the whistleblower, and I don't talk about this all the time. I can't shoot a Levin TV in our studio without having an armed officer there. You didn't even know that, did you, Mr. Producer? When I do a book signing, typically we'll have one or two uniform officers, but we also have two people who are not uniform. The threats I tend to get are from the neo-Nazis and the Klansmen. And people who will write of the left who hate Trump, who hate me, and say very, very uh, uh, troubling things, or things will wind up in my mailbox. I don't want your sympathy. I'm explaining things. So I don't hide the ball here about who I am and what I think. I mean, I remember when my my stepson, who I adore, who's brilliant, David was working for Ted Cruz. And the media was leaking that out. And Mark, you should have mentioned that. You never mentioned that. I can't mention stuff like that. Don't you understand? Of course I'm a Cruz supporter, but one had nothing to do with the other. He was hired by Ted Cruz well before Ted Cruz decided to run for president of the United States. But I can't say, hey, everybody, he's over there. The reasons things are done the way they're done, that have nothing to do with anything that's untoward or shady or irrational. Quite the opposite. Now, what does this have to do with journalism? I'm going to try something different tonight. Normally, when something like this is written and posted on a website, I unleash, don't I, Mr. Producer? Now, I could still do that, but I'm going to try something differently, and I want to bring all of you, millions of you, in on this. And I hope this young man learns something, but I don't think he will. But I hope he does. His name, and I've never met him, is Caleb Ekarma, E-C-A-R-M-A. I've never heard of the guy before. And the only time I go to media is to use them as a foil, actually to have fun with them. And Dan Abrams, the guy that founded it, because they're so openly stupid, provide no content. They just run a bunch of clips and take little cheap shots and overwhelmingly left wing. They can take it. But Caleb Ikarma cannot. As best I can tell, he's in his low 20s or he's new to this business. He used to write for the Daily Signal, conservative with heritage, used to write for the Federalist, one of the great websites, and so forth and so on. Now he writes for Media, which is a left-wing site. And here's what he says in part. <clears throat> and by the way, I was told, don't mention this. All you'll do is give them hits over there at Media. Folks, whatever it is, it is. I'm not worried about it. The title. Remember when Mark Levin despised Donald Trump and his quote-unquote sleazeball supporters? No, I had a couple of emails where this was sent to me, because I certainly don't look for this stuff. And this is the latest. You have Media Matters putting out attacks in the last week that, that I endorsed a local state Senate candidate. He was a friend of mine and spoke at a rally. There were other Republican candidates there, too. It was rather low-key. And I talked about that on the air. So they tried to come between me and Fox. Fox didn't care. I don't care. 
It didn't work. We know what they're up to. Hollywood Reporter pushed it. Daily Beast has pushed it at least three times. To what end? Try and get me fired? You're not going to get me fired. If I don't want to work there, I'll leave there. But we have an excellent relationship with our friends over there. But this is a big deal, you see. And so this, this young man, Caleb E. Karma, he piles on. He thinks he's gone to something. Maybe he'll get 5,000 comments over there at Mediate. That's a big deal. Have a wonderful weekend. He starts this way. Mark, and I am using this as a lesson for others out there who want to get into the journalism business, and for Caleb, if he'll listen. Mark Levin has spent his week blasting conservative media contemporaries, Ann Coulter and Matt Drudge, for supposedly turning on the president. Now, first of all, I haven't spent the week blasting them. I was highly critical of them. I call it blasting them. During part of one show, one, one day, and, part of, and even a smaller part of another show the next day. And I moved on. You have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to see what's been taking place on the Drudge Report. Matt Drudge is a friend of mine. But I've been very disappointed in it. I'm not out to destroy him or his website. I said what I said and I move on. I've not cared for Ann Coulter for several years now. She turned on the Tea Party. She turned on Reagan telling us Romney was better than Reagan. She was a big Chris Christie supporter. And so, again, it's nothing personal with me. I have nothing personal with her. We used to be friends. But again, I'm not going to sit here and be silent when the next thing she does, and it's headlined on the Drudge Report, she basically says, you know, she hopes he's impeached or removed. I forget exactly what what she said about Trump. Here we are in the middle of a constitutional battle that's going to affect our children and our grandchildren. This isn't a joke. So I express myself. I don't know why that's controversial. But this guy thought it was very important. He says, but not... So long ago, the talk radio fixture and best-selling author condemned Donald Trump as a globalist hypocrite, mocked Fox News as a Trump super PAC, and firmly labeled himself never Trump. Now, that's quite a lot of stuff packed into that sense. I supported Ted Cruz. I'm just giving an example. Those of you who listen know, and you can also pull up the information. I supported Ted Cruz in the Republican primary. I became particularly angry over two things. Number one, then candidate Trump's suggestion that Ted Cruz's father, <laughs> was hilariously ri- ridiculous, was involved in the, uh, in the uh, Kennedy assassination. Um, and of course the media thought that was great. They kept running with it. And the other was Roger Stone. Now I'm not going to kick a... I won't say dog, kick a Roger Stone when he's down. I've never liked this guy. And he's written some very vicious lies about me. And he had done it again. And I unleashed on him on the radio and I said, that's it. I'm never Trump. He's Trump's guy. That's it. Donald Trump wrote me a personal note and said, he's not my guy. He doesn't work for me anymore. I don't feel that way about you. So it wasn't a matter of politics. or It was a really sleazy thing. So I, I, I reversed course. I said, okay, fine. That's the way it is. Fair enough. That's what happened. So the never-Trumpers 
People like Caleb, who want to make a score for themselves and others, keep saying, I was never Trump, never Trump, never Trump. I was never, never Trump. That's what happened. What was it, Rich? 48 hours, maybe three days? I don't remember. Not even. I have a producer who's been with me from day one. Listens to everything I say. I always check with him. Didn't I say this? We look at it. We remember. Correct. Now he goes on. Levin, who now hosts a weekend Fox News show and the third largest rated conservative radio program behind uh, Limbaugh and Hannity, launched his all-out offensive after Coulter denounced the president for promising to work with Democrats and DACA, and Drudge prominently featured her comments on his influential news aggregation site. That wasn't the only reason. I explained myself, and I've explained it before. It's the litany of links and comments and attacks. And I'm not going to get into all these issues. I've discussed them. You want to go back, check them out. But he doesn't really say what I said. I've been very critical of this president on DACA. Have I not, Mr. President? Uh, Mr. Producer? He wants to give a million or so of them citizenship over time? I've said no. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with them on DACA. And I'm not going to go down the list so they can use that, you know, to try and sabotage the president. But there's a number of things. His trade policies beyond China? There's a number of areas. But there's more areas where I support him. He has surprised me. I've explained it to everybody. Half of this audience was, is with me on this and was, was in the same position. He's been far more conservative than I ever dreamed. Look at him on life. Unbelievable. Look at him fighting to secure that border. Unbelievable. I've never seen anybody fight like this. Despite people calling him a sellout and this, that, and the other. And I've never seen a president under this kind of an assault where people are abusing the rule of law and the Constitution and our legal processes against one individual. And you're damn right I'm going to defend him against that. Now we're going to take a break. Again, I'm doing this as a public service because I could eviscerate this guy. But you know what? I don't think it's going to get us anywhere. There's a lot of you young people who are conservatives thinking about getting into journalism. This kid was obviously a conservative, got into journalism. Now he's flipped thinks it's a big deal. He thinks media might be a step zone, you know, to CNN. and It's like Oliver Darcy. Over there, Blaze. Then he takes a jump. He's over at CNN trashing conservatives and the president left and right. And the truth is, this is the way. This is the way of modern journalism. This is the way. If you want to be on these various... TV programs and in these various sites, you want to be hired by the New York Times, and so this is who you have to be. I'm trying to discourage this young man and other young people out there from doing this, but I'm not done. I'll be right back. Lovin. Now this uh, fella, Caleb Ikarma, he goes on. But Levin's own history, prior to his conveniently timed rebrand to pro-Trump sycophant, when it became clear that the Republican Party is the Trump Party, suggests that in searching for sellouts, he should look in the mirror first. What rebrand? You know, later in his writing and others, they say, for ratings and for book sales, folks, my ratings have been unaffected. We have sky-high ratings through thick and thin because of you. They don't understand this audience. They don't understand 
people who read my books or anything of the sort. You don't abandon this show. You didn't abandon this show during the Republican primary. When I was supporting Cruz and pounding away at Trump. And you're not abandoning the show now. So what does he mean, my rebrand? I've explained this over and over and over again because of baseless, unsupportable allegations like this. They're just cheap shots. And I'm trying to explain this to this kid. This isn't how you do journalism. This isn't how you do journalism. I was never going to support Hillary Clinton. And I was never going to be a never-Trumper who set out the election. Way too much at stake. I had lived through Hillary and Bill Clinton. That wasn't going to happen again. Moreover, the President of the United States actively took affirmative steps to unite his party. He also gave a great speech in Gettysburg about conservatism. He put out a list of the kinds of judges he would appoint. I was skeptical. But I wanted him to get elected, and I wanted Hillary Clinton to be defeated. I don't apologize for that. There's millions of us who felt this way. Not rebranding. Rebranding what? Am I suddenly for open borders? Am I suddenly for eviscerating our military? Am I suddenly for criminals against the cops? I'm the only host that ever talks about the damn spending that's out of control and point my finger at all of them. I've disagreed with the president on Syria the way I've disagreed with Obama on Syria. I mean, I don't know how much clearer I can be. But that's not what this young man is about. He's trying to score points, and he's hoping beyond hope that this piece of media will be picked up all over the place. I don't care if it is. It's irrelevant. But that's what he's hoping. He wants to get noticed. He says, it's not an exaggeration to say Levin's support for Trump changes with the wind as he has flipped from loathing him to licking his boots, not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times over the years. Now that's typically where you just drop off. Because when you're right like that, you're just a punk. And punks are a dime a dozen. But I, I go on. While he has apparently tried to scrub some of his countless anti-Trump comments from the internet, Mr. Producer, open your microphone. I send you everything we post, because I don't post, right? Everything that's posted, I write, correct? Correct. Everything we post, I send you, correct? Correct. Have we scrubbed anything? I have not scrubbed one thing. Have I ever asked you to scrub anything? Never. I don't even know how to scrub anything either, myself, do I? No. (laughs) I don't even know how to post. I write them, send them to Mr. Producer, he posts them. So that's a lie. And so uses the word apparently. While Levin has apparently tried to scrub some of his countless... I haven't tried to scrub anything. I never have scrubbed anything. I think we've taken two articles down in all the years. There's been maybe three because I found out they were wrong. That's not scrubbing. That's trying to be accurate. A little bit more when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the voice liberals fear most. And you can call Mark at 877-381-3811. I just think this kid, Callup, and other young people out there, you really need to think about what you're doing, what you want to become, what you want to do with your life. You want to be in Twitter wars the rest of your life? 
you want to twist the career of individuals and cherry pick their their background in order to try and score points it'll be very unfulfilling very unfulfilling he later talks about my books that Donald Trump tweeted about the Liberty Amendments in 2013 and that I did a Levin's Public 180 didn't fully materialize until after Trump promoted one of his books, the Liberty Amendments. He doesn't understand the publishing industry in the least. In the least. Or how books work. And when you write something like this, he doesn't understand you. I've have had eight New York Times bestsellers. It's unprecedented. The last five in a row have been number one. Many of you have purchased one or more of those books. You don't purchase those books to do me a favor. You don't purchase those books to put a few more shekels in my pocket. I talk about them at great length. I don't say buy a book because it's Mark Levin's brand. I say, here's why I wrote the book and I talk to you about the book at great length. And you can go on right now. At Amazon.com, look at Unfreedom of the Press, and look at the comments, almost 3,000 comments, 4.9 out of 5 stars. 5 stars. You, don't, you can't create that. You can't force people to do things. And you're smart. You know, oh, Mark's written a book, I better buy it. I appreciate the fact that Donald Trump supported it. That had nothing to do with sales. It had nothing to do with liberty and tyranny sales. He didn't tweet about that. We saw 1.5 million copies of that book. So it's factually inaccurate. But he wants to try, try, and tear me down to build himself up. It's not going to work. He says, in 2014 in Facebook, Levin was forced to acknowledge his blatant inconsistencies. He writing of Trump, he said, I've explained my growing admiration for him over time, given his growing conservatism. There's nothing contradictory or hypocritical or anything else. But he doesn't accept that at face value, and yet that's what, exactly what the case is, and it's probably the case with millions of you. He had been a liberal Democrat, a reform party, an independent. Then he settled into his current position. And that's when I supported him. While their newfound mutual admiration enjoyed a honeymoon phase of close to two years, the Trump incited conservative civil war in 2016 Created more issues for the relationship. All right, this is a Republican primary. It was the Republican primary. At the start of the Trump campaign, the outsider candidate was under constant attack by moderate and hardline conservatives alike. As his poll numbers continued to rise and it became clear that the Trump campaign wasn't another publicity stunt, the Republican Never Trump movement was born. But Levin wasn't on board. No, I wasn't. And yet, a few paragraphs up, he said I was. Didn't he, Mr. Producer? Consistency also is important. I mean logical consistency. But Levin wasn't on board. In fact, rather than remaining Switzerland, while waiting to see how the field shaped up like some in conservative media, what is he talking about? I backed, wanted to hear what they all had to say, wanted to be fair, and I backed Cruz. Everything I did, I explained. Which is the truth. Why would, I, why would I not tell you the truth? 
He vouched for Trump and went on and went out of his way to scorn never Trumpers as frauds, not conservatives and buffoons in April 2016. That's exactly what they are. They are right now. And then he gets into the Roger Stone thing, but hits it very fast. Very fast. It goes on. You'll read it yourself. You'll read it yourself. I'm just looking at this. Levin said, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I'm going to wind up voting for Trump on Election Day, Levin said in September, chalking up his dramatic change of heart to Hillary Clinton being so awful. What was more than that, as I explained before the election as time went on, and the president was trying to consolidate support, bring in conservatives, Reagan conservatives. That's exactly what he did, and he brought in millions of us. Why is this so complicated for Caleb? Because Caleb is angry. Because Caleb's agenda is to score points, to promote Caleb. It's all the bad tools and practices of modern-day journalism. Gritting your teeth and selecting the best of two bad choices in general election is one thing, but since Trump's inauguration, Levin's tune on Trump has shifted from reluctant supporter to full-blown media propagandist, incessantly praising his dear leader. So in other words, Trump is on in North Korea, and I'm just supporting him, to support him. And no time does he put any of the issues where Trump and I disagree, because when I disagree with Trump, I'm not trying to sabotage him. It's an honest disagreement between a lifelong conservative and somebody who's not a philosophical conservative but does conservative things, as I keep saying over and over again. Didn't even get into what he's done with Israel, among other things. And my growing support for Trump, in addition to that, is my support for the Constitution. And I say it over and over and over again. And what's interesting in this piece, he never mentions it once. Not once. And I've said it over and over again. And it's on the record. It's in our archive. I've said it on TV. I will do anything I can. And I have my entire life. Whether as a lawyer with a legal foundation. In the Reagan administration. As a radio host. A TV host. An author. To defend our liberty and our constitution. I don't expect human beings to be perfect. And that includes this president. But I know a threat to this republic when I see one. And the threat is not this man. The threat is what they're trying to do to this man. Because they'll do it to the next Republican too. Whether you like that Republican or not. This is a battle over the Constitution. It's a battle over what impeachment means. And Caleb, I just want to suggest to you, you really need to open your eyes. You really need to get your career straight. You really need to be thinking about how you want to be thought about. Because right now, you just look like one of the, one of the pack. One of the social media hit jobs. And you're better than that. Because you used to write for the Daily Signal. You're better than that. You used to write for the Great Federalist. But you're taking the wrong path. You're turning into Oliver Darcy. Or worse. But you have time to switch. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Well, we got a very, very busy weekend, don't you? Again, Sunday. Big interview, one hour with Devin Nunes. I'm not going to even gavel him down. I'm going to let him speak. Tell us what's going on. This is a great patriot. He'll be remembered as a great patriot because that's what he is. Please check that out. It's 8 p.m. Sunday, our new time. That's Eastern. And uh, I'm looking something up here in 5 p.m. Pacific. Okay. Now also, tonight, in 40 minutes, I will be on Hannity on Fox. I'm rived up, ready to go. I speed, it's true, from the Levin bunker to the Ronald Reagan studio where we shoot Levin TV, where I'll do the Hannity hit at 9.30. So please check that out. It's just 40 minutes away. What else are you going to do? Nothing else to watch. And this is actually good. And then I'm going to be on with Cheryl Atkinson. Right, Mr. Producer? And we've, we've linked that up on my social sites if you want to take a look at that too. A couple things. When the choice is between bad and worse, it's time to look for a better alternative. Now, the two drug pricing bills we've been following are the Grassley-Wyden bill in the Senate and the Pelosi plan in the House. The Senate one is bad, but Pelosi's is even worse. Either plan, if passed, will be the first step towards a whole host of backwards, socialist, government-run policies. Both plans contain price controls on drugs, which effectively gives government the power to dictate prices. But the real world... Price controls will threaten seniors' access to the prescription drugs. Price controls will also destroy innovation by severely cutting the investments needed for the next breakthrough treatments. Now, fortunately, there is some good news. The Republican-controlled Senate is not likely to take up the Pelosi plane, even if it passes the House. And in the Senate, some principled Republicans are speaking out against the Grassley-Wyden bill. But all Senate Republicans need to stand up for sound, principled health care reform and not embrace leftist policies that lead to government-run socialized health care. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com, TrueHealthCareFacts.com, TrueHealthCareFacts.com. I meant to tell you also, cyber thieves are stealing American homes. Now, I know this sounds shocking, but it really shouldn't surprise you. Your home's legal title and mortgage documents are kept online, wide open, for the whole world to see. Your signature is there. Everything thieves need to take over ownership of your home is there, easily available online. Now, thieves forge your name off the title, then refile the deed so it appears you sold it. Then they go to certain lenders and borrow money using your home's equity. Then they disappear and stick you with the payments. So your money's stolen, and now you're paying the payments on the money they stole. Banks, insurance, identity theft programs do not protect you. Home Title Lock does. That's why they're there. Home Title Lock puts a virtual firewall around your home's title and mortgage. And they monitor the black market to see if your home's for sale. Now your home's equity is your retirement, your emergency fund. Let me help you protect it with 60 risk-free days of Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Enter your address to see if you're already a victim. If you're not, enter your address, you'll get the 60 risk-free days. Defend yourself. At HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. Now, one of the positives coming out of this is you really get to see what the Democrats stand for, and you really get to see what the Republicans stand for on this committee. 
But the leadership in the Republican House has been extraordinary. Now, this is another example where Caleb, if he wants to be a punk, or does he want to be a serious writer, could try and twist things. I've never been a fan of Kevin McCarthy. Matter of fact, I've been a vocal critic. But he is stepping up now. He's in charge of defending the Constitution, the office of the presidency, and this president from what the Democrats are doing. And what they're doing is unprecedented. He has stepped up. And for this, he deserves credit and our thank you. Now, is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction at all. No, no, I'm a never Kevin McCarthyite. Never. Then you're irrational and you're not principled. If a politician is doing what you don't support, then say it. If they're out to sabotage the country or sabotage your principles, then you can challenge them. You don't want them. It's not a matter of a here and there. It's a matter of everywhere. But if a politician is largely conservative, or they're, they're doing something in the moment that's very, very important, despite the press, despite the Democrats and so forth, you should say that too. Now compare Kevin McCarthy to Mitt Romney. Compare Kevin McCarthy to Mitt Romney. Compare Kevin McCarthy to Mitch McConnell right now. Long trial? Let's say the long trial turns out great. What's the problem with a long trial? The Senate is now giving its approval, its stamp of approval, its good housekeeping seal, to an outrageously tyrannical process that was used by the House. They're creating bad precedent. Bad precedent for the future of the country. That's why you oppose it. Kevin McCarthy's fighting this. Mitch McConnell has no intention of fighting it. Just want to get the right witnesses in there, don't you know? It's unacceptable to me. There, I just explained myself. It has nothing to do with anybody endorsing a book or anything like that. It's all kosher, as we like to say. Well, it's Friday, ladies and gentlemen. We like to play America.
folks, the week is officially over. Thank God. The weekend begins now. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, ICE, Border Patrol, all you folks who protect us. Thank you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. I hate that list gets so long. And good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. Leo was my father-in-law for people who are interested. Be well, my friends, and watch us on Sunday, and watch me in a half hour, both on Fox. God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.